Speaking podcast. This is Chris Shelton, your host. Uh, welcome to the show. As you can see, I am joined this week uh, on video by uh, with uh, Rachel Bernstein. <laughs> hey, Rachel. Hello, hello. Uh, Rachel's uh, a favorite guest of the show. We've done a lot of shows together. So many, in fact, that you can find a playlist of the shows of Rachel and I together on my channel uh, there if you want to check that out. We have talked about a lot a very, very, very valuable information about how to relate to, get along with, talk to, and help people who are in or coming out of destructive cult or abusive relationship type situations. And uh, and Rachel is a therapist by trade out in uh, out in California, and mm-hmm. uh, and you can find her. Uh, I'll put her website in the notes uh, to the show here, so y'all can can find her. So Rachel, uh, welcome back to part two of emotional needs. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. It's always good to talk to you. And it's always good to talk through these subjects with you. It's always very, very interesting to especially to talk about emotional needs because everybody has them. And it's it's one of these things that, you know, when people say, what kind of person gets involved in a cult? Well, every kind of person, because (laughs) everyone's looking for something. Uh, So I'm glad. I'm glad when we generalize these messages, actually. Yeah, me too. Me too. And this one was, uh, this was recommended to me by a viewer because he said, that I had brought up the fact that people get involved in cults because they are because of their emotional needs that they need to fulfill. And he was like, well, you know, I didn't even realize I had emotional needs, much less what that what are they? What is that? What does that mean? You know, and so we're doing these shows and um, and this breakdown has been absolutely fascinating. And, And in fact, you know, it's funny how I sort of said that as sort of a catch all of like, well, emotional needs, right? I just kind of, I just kind of was sort of pulling that out or whatever to try to summarize this, this, well, emotional need, right? These, mm-hmm. these, like this mm-hmm. pull, this magnet that that a person can feel for a thing or for a person because of this emotional drive, these motivation or yeah. that they have or that they feel, mm-hmm. and yet I didn't even understand you know, the full breakdown and and all the research that's been done on this until we started, you know, until I started diving into it to do these shows. So this has been an absolutely fascinating approach and has really solidified for me um, what I was saying, actually, has even made it more real. I mean, not to, this isn't a big, like, you know, pat myself on the back. I'm just saying, (laughs) wow, sometimes you don't know how much you don't know about something, even, you know, even if you know a little bit and you go, oh my God, look at all this amazing wealth of information here. So let's, let's go ahead and get past my amazing one. We'll dive into it. Um, okay. We we talked last time. Uh, we we basically talked about how there's nine you know categories you could say of of how psychology has sort of has sort of broken this down and and there's other ways you could do it but we're gonna choose these nine categories and we talked about security and autonomy last time and so mm-hmm. this time we're gonna tackle the next one which is personal attention uh, as an emotional need. We need to feel like we 
get attention. And this is not necessarily just ego or value, which is another one, but it's just the need to have attention directed to us. In other words, you know, there's those old Twilight Zone stories or those old stories about how when a person is, uh, is, is uh, found guilty of a crime in a future society and they are, and they are banned, they are shunned, they are, they are put in a place where nobody will pay any attention to them. And after a couple months of that, it's pure torture, right? It's so, it's mm-hmm. solitary confinement. Even when you're surrounded by people, if nobody's paying any attention to you, what happens to you, right? So, right. how how uh, anyway? What, what what's your initial take on this one? Right. So, uh, what's so interesting is when you you know you gave this uh, clarifying statement about how you know, it's not just ego. It, what's so interesting about it is that so many people and so many cultic groups will convince you that your need for that is neediness and yes. that your need for that is a weakness so that your need for that is your for ego aggrandizement. The only person who really has that need typically is the cult leader. Uh, and everyone else just wants to get their regular human needs met. And so when we talk about attention, I think that's why a lot of people say the love bombing really worked, that that was the thing that really spoke to us, that people cared or they seemed to care. They wanted to get to know us. They asked us questions about ourselves that we had never been asked before, that we hadn't even considered before. And they seemed to really care about the answers. And sometimes they cared about the answers because they really cared. And sometimes that information was being compiled only to be used against you, which is always so charming. But I think that the other part is that, you know, there've been a lot of studies about eye contact about responsiveness to a child's needs, about knowing that someone is paying attention. How long do you let a child cry before you go and take care of them? There are so many different schools of thought, and the schools of thought are based on long-term studies where they see how it impacts a child and how much it gives them a sense of worth and that they matter at all. And that there are plenty of kids where when they see these studies, you know, that kids who look into an adult's eyes and if the adult averts their eyes away, they'll try to do something to get that person to look back at them. And when that person just doesn't, and it's heart-wrenching to watch these things, the child just looks away like, um, never mind. I guess I don't matter. And that person doesn't care about me. It's a message that is mm, that is internalized all too easily, all too quickly. And so when someone says, I see you and I care about you and I want to know you, it it triggers our brain very much like a drug. It just feels right. It feels good. It's like giving somebody something to drink who's thirsty. Exactly. And that's, and that's what you just described is, is exactly why we say this is an emotional need. 
These, you know, I, and and just to remind everybody with this, um, you know, these are not emotional wants. <laughs> right. exactly. These aren't desires that we have. I mean, they are obviously desires that we have, but they're not just that. They don't stop at that. They're not. These aren't options. So, in other mm-hmm. words, right? Mm-hmm. For us to have a what we would think of in our own estimation of a successful life or happy life, these things must be addressed in some fashion. And, mm-hmm. and, and I think we've now sort of defined the boundaries of, of this particular emotional need where we have love bombing as an extreme on one end and we have shunning, disconnection, the whole, you know, we're not going to give you any more attention ever at the other right. end. And it's interesting yeah. in talking about this how these both of these extremes are, are commonly utilized tools of manipulation and control, right? Because mm-hmm. you can control somebody through either end of this extreme spectrum. Uh, you can love bomb somebody and adore and flatter them into what you want them to do and mm-hmm. manipulate them that way. Or you can manipulate them through the threat of or actually carrying out, well, I'm going to withdraw all this attention, admiration, love for you, and it's going to not be there and you don't get anything. Right. Like, ah, you know, and you'll create this this big vacuum of, of of that. So it's interesting how both ends of this are actually control points. Right. Oh, very much so. Very much so. I mean, I think that's why you know solitary confinement is the worst. Uh, it's really the thing that makes people shudder um, because you're just going to be left alone and like you don't matter and no one cares. Um, And also when you're not being attended to, it doesn't necessarily make you feel differently about the person who's not attending to you. It makes you feel differently about yourself. Oh, that's an interesting point. That's right. Right. Like if I'm not worthy of that person's attention or interesting enough, or my feelings aren't valid enough to get someone to care about them, people often turn the message in on themselves. That's why it's so important. It also shifts your behavior. I think about, if I think about this example a lot, having been on sports fields with my kids when they were young a lot, and There was one particular parent whose child was on one of my kids' sports teams just many years in a row, and he would come and he'd always be on his phone. And his daughter was the one who got injured, but injured in air quotes, over and over and over again, just to see if it would make him put his phone down. And so she would fall and she would cry and she was fine. And everyone could see that she was fine. And he just thought that she was being a pain and say, oh, she's always complaining. And so finally, um, you know, I said, you might want to actually look at her. You might want to watch her while she's playing. And then she might not need to work so hard to get your attention. But then what happens is that if people get attention through something that is considered negative, then they're dismissed even more because then they're just being annoying. <laughs> but they're, it just shows how much we have a need to get our needs met. Big time. Oh, that's a really good point. And also, you know, the and the and the other side of that, of course, is that we can't all, nor should we deserve to have, all the attention all the time. And right. and in fact, mm-hmm. if anything, you know, you could consider that, you know, uh, in a way, narcissism is a bit of a 
of an aberration of this, a bit of a of a of a too much of this need oh, for personal yeah. attention, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, that you know, when I think about, and I don't know if I've mentioned this on your show or with you before, but within narcissists, um, sometimes depressives have this a little bit too, but within narcissists, especially inside of them is not this container that's solid. It's more like a sieve or a colander where when they're filled up with compliments, very little of it sticks and it just dissipates. And then you feel if you're with a narcissist, you have to start back at square one, just making them feel special, making them feel attended to, making them feel that they matter. And that's why everyone around a narcissist looks drained because they are, because <laughs> no amount of what they give is going to be enough. And so, yeah, I think that unfortunately for the narcissist, they don't have a place to contain the compliment they got the hour before that made them feel like they did a good job. The attention they got from their family at any point that would make them feel worthy enough. It just, you know, goes into kind of the ether and then they're left empty. And I think that causes a lot of their misbehavior. Yeah, I, I, wow. So even narcissists have emotional needs. Oh, they have many, many more actually than, you know, the person standing next to them. Right. Isn't that interesting? Isn't mm -hmm. that interesting? Because, because uh, of course, they're the one, they're the first ones who are going to say that, you know, they don't need anybody or anything. Oh, God, no. No, no, no. Right. Yeah. They don't, they don't need anything or anyone just stand here for five hours while I repeat the same <laughs> message over and over again and don't blink and don't use the bathroom. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This obsessive need to control. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One wonders, you know, um, one hears about the monster factories that some of these people are, were raised in. Um, you know, without having to, to go into naming names, we know famous people, famous, you know, narcissistic type personalities who, who later had illustrious careers of abuse and control. And, uh, and you go root causes, you, you know, you're trying to figure out how did this person get this way? What is this about? And, and on the nurture side of it, if they, you know, regardless of the nature side, on the nurture side, you certainly can find a, 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 a is it is it common? Do you think in your experience? Because it, it it seems to be in mine, but I might be I might be doing a little confirmation bias right now. But it seems common that this need is an unfulfilled need in the lives of almost every person who ends up as a serial killer or a a really bad person who doesn't get along well in society. That somehow there was a gross deficiency in in them receiving any personal attention when they were kids, you know, if it, or conversely, the personal attention they received was nothing but abusive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what's interesting about that is that, you know, we always want to be cautious about not always blaming the parent. Um, yeah. Or, I mean, unfortunately for mothers, they were always the source of every, everything, the right. withholding mothers was the mother. Um, but even with the narcissism, you know, sometimes, yes, it is because there were these horrible deficiencies in basic 
affirmation of the self, mm. of the fact that you matter and that someone cares. Someone cares, someone cares about your pain, someone cares about your needs. What's also true is that within certain family systems, there can be one child who has narcissistic tendencies when the others don't, and they were raised in the same system. Mm. So when that happens, what that means is that person came into the world with a certain kind of wiring, either some anxiety that the other kids didn't have uh, as naturally and so that they saw things as signs of things or that they worried that if their parent um, went to go tend to a sibling before attending to them, did that mean that they weren't loved anymore as opposed to they would just have to wait five minutes? So, you know, there's sometimes this perfect storm of wiring and parenting that can really create the, the narcissistic persona. Good point. Very good point. I, I certainly don't ever want to reduce these things down to some simple Simon equation because it's not that way. And we, we know it's not that way, that it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's infinitely more complicated than that. You want to encourage good parenting. You want to encourage, you know, that, that people take care of their kids. But it is, I, you know, it's always understandable what a, what a tightrope walk it is, um, especially when you're raising multiple kids, you know, and mm -hmm. then just the, the attention and the gamemanship and the one-upmanship and the power dynamics. And I mean, just all the levels that you could look at the relationships <laughs> at. You know, and at the end of the day, you just kind of go, oh, look, I just survived the day. I'm happy with that. OK, just leave me alone. You know? right, look, the kid's exactly. alive. OK, I did my uh -huh. job. Right. Leave me alone. Uh -huh. uh, so I so definitely I don't want to, uh, you know, create the impression that it's, uh, you know, that every bad person we've ever seen is it, it was because of their mother. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. But, right. Sure. Yeah. There's some. There's some people who, some families I, I meet with and I can see how dismissive the parents are naturally yeah. or how punitive or how abandoning yeah. they are. Uh, and then they just wonder why their kids are always trying to get their attention. Yeah. Uh, and they don't see the connection. They don't see what they've set in motion. Um, and I really wish that they would because kids actually, by and large, don't need a lot. They just need, they need to know the big things. They need to know that you love them and that you'll take care of them. And if they're in pain, you'll take care of them. If they're happy, you'll be happy with them and for them. Um, but they don't need to be attended to every single second. In fact, that would be smothering and they do want their own space. Um, but when it, when a child is thinking about not only how much they can get more from you, it's sometimes because again, they came into the world with that neediness, but it could be because in some significant ways, you've let them know that they have to work harder to get what they need from you. Right, right. Good point. Very good point. Well, let's go on to the next one because I think we've yeah. uh, I think we've given that a pretty good look over. There's probably mm -hmm. some other things we could say about it, but it seems pretty good. Uh -huh. um, and the next one we're looking at is emotional connection. And that's mm -hmm. interesting. Emotional connection as an emotional need, and yet mm -hmm. there it is. It's not a circular thing. It's it's that you have to make a connection with people at more than I guess what we would say a rational or cerebral level. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not automatons, we're not machines, we're not, and the brain is not a computer. 
it is a brain. It's a, it's an organic mm-hmm. thing where we are organic right. and we have these reactions, these thoughts, our whole body feels right. And, right. and if you're not feeling that, if you're not getting that with other people, then there's something that's going to be lacking in your life. And on the other hand, like with the love bombing closely related here, the love bombing is being done to force that emotional connection. If we want to look at the net at a negative here of this is you can, you know, you can overwhelm a person's desire for emotional connection through tactics like love bombing, where they're just, you know, overwhelmed and awed and shocked by, you know, all this, a sudden, you know, inflow and attention. And, uh, and so again, there's a spectrum here. It can be good. It can be bad, you know? Right. Yes. So there's so much to say about this and, and, um, yeah, to to have it be that the emotional connection is something that's so specified says so much about how we are communal beings, that we have survived by being part of communities, that we have needed to check in with other people to see if how we're feeling is the same way that someone else is feeling to know if it's quote unquote normal or to know if we're alone with this or not. Um, I mean, sometimes what people like about going to a movie theater, let's say, and what they've missed about going to a movie theater rather than sitting at home watching movie is the emotional connection, the emotional community. They're all, people are all laughing at the same time or crying right. at the same time. Right. And that feels connected. And you can feel like you're part of a, a greater community and that feels safer. And that's who we are. There are people also who want to make sure that they're understood. And so they will work hard to make sure that that someone who they care about does feel emotionally connected to them because they understand them. Um, There's also, though, within cultic groups, this manufacturing of a false emotional connection, which is so damaging and so hurtful because an emotional connection should be genuine. It shouldn't be conditional. It shouldn't be, I'll care about you only if you kind of do the right things or believe the right way or feel the right way about this or feel the way I told you to feel. Um, what also help, you know, happens within like these large group awareness trainings, you feel very emotionally connected to people because within the first four and a half minutes, they're asking you to sit in a circle with people and talk about what you want to have written on your tombstone. You're like, what, you know, can I put my purse down? Um, <laughs> and so then you're crying together and you're oh and you've had a moment and you feel this emotional connection but it was crafted it's not genuine and so it's hard though because it's very appealing so many people feel disconnected so they say oh these are my new friends um and so it has to be something that happens sort of naturally and over time uh organically not again, in that manufactured way. What also creates an emotional connection sometimes is feeling like you've lived through something together. Uh, so there is a trauma bond and there there are times that people are pushed to the brink in some of these organizations. 
And now they feel very close because they've had to be on deck for 18 hours or whatever else, right? Um, so is that an emotional connection or were you just put through something horrible together um, that you shouldn't have ever have been put through? So it's good to kind of look and see if these are people you would want to be connected to or if you just happen to be because someone has abused you in the same way that they've abused them. Um, so it's, it's good to kind of step back and say, who am I feeling connected to and why? From what situation? And is this something that's real or not? Yeah, very much so. And let me, let me, um, something just came to mind in a very, very strong way from the, from the research I was working on with uh, Hubbard's lectures. One of the, one of the things that Hubbard brings up in, um, in uh, Scientology is that the, the way that his framing of it and his conclusion on it was kind of interesting. He said that rough times, like you were just talking about, where these these traumatic episodes, uh, he's, he's talked about it in terms of war, mm -hmm. uh, combat, mm -hmm. uh, or intense in a business world, right? Intense competition, cutthroat competition kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. um, but more, but, but the exact, the, the first analogy he used was, was combat. And he said mm -hmm. that a ship's crew isn't worth shit until they've been through combat together. And basically, it's, uh, that was the that was the argument that he was making is that they're really not cohesive, they're not together, they're not working as a team until they've mm -hmm. been through some traumatizing, desperate, you know, act action. Wow. You know, uh, bullets flying, stuff like that. Now, I got to thinking about this in terms of this emotional connection and what you were talking about just now, and because because you talk to veterans, you talk to people who have been in combat or in been in rough situations, like you yeah. mentioned, you know, on a ship, standing watch for eighteen hours with you know with the rest of the crew, or or in the Sea Org, you know, where we went through the RPF, or you go through various mm -hmm. you know very uh, grueling group situations. It's not mm -hmm. you don't suffer alone in the Sea Org, that's for sure. It's always a group effort, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I got to thinking about this because I pushed back on that because I thought, uh, well, it's true. It certainly is true. You talk to people who have been through stuff. Mm -hmm. There is a connection. And that connection can occur through joy and happiness or it can occur through terror and mm -hmm. horror and awfulness. You're still sharing a connection. You're having the same, same emotional experience. And, and there is a bond that occurs there. I agree with you that that it's you know it shouldn't shouldn't be under those circumstances, but it's interesting that that a bond does occur. Mm -hmm. But that I think the reason I'm bringing this up is because I think that I think that Hubbard, in classic cult leader fashion, takes this piece of information, which is kind of a an interesting piece of information. You can you can you know you can put people through things. And bond them, you know, on negativity as well as on positivity. Right. And his spin is, this is what makes a true group. <laughs> you don't have a true, a true, a true group, an effective group. He loads the language with this, right? He, mm -hmm. he starts using these words, true, effective, in very sneaky, snide, you know, kind of, kind of uh, manipulative ways. 
Right. Right. You're not really part of the group until you've been through with some shit with us. Right. Therefore, mm -hmm. you kind of set up a situation where abuse doesn't just acceptable. Abuse is necessary. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. It's right. necessary that we abuse you guys so that you'll form a team. Right. And, and one could say that this is also a similar uh, philosophy at boot camp. Yeah. You know, in the military, we're going to put you guys through the most grueling nonsense you've ever had anything to do with. We're going to we're going to, you know, wake you up at three in the morning, pounding on trash cans. We're going to make you scrub toilets with toothbrushes. We're going to make you do really stupid stuff because we need to make you a team and we need to do it now. Right. And one wonders, you know, about the, the the wisdom of this approach. You know, I don't know. Right. I mean, I think it is um, it's justification for terrorizing people. Yeah. yeah. And so imagine for a moment if you really did believe that people got closer and they felt bonded when they've been through something together. Would your conscience ever let you just abuse them liberally to help them feel closer or <laughs> instead, would you say my job, if I really know that, you know, people do get closer through this, my job will be to help strengthen people, offer them ways to protect themselves, care for each other, feel a part of a team feel confident so that if something happens to them at someone else's hand, they will work together. They'll be cohesive because I'm already helping them build those skills. Um, if it happens, not, I'm going to make sure that uh, it happens so that I can prove my point. Um, it's like parents who are abusive towards their kids and the justification is, well, you know, the world is a hard place. So I'm kind of getting you started on this. So you'll be prepared. Well, mm, no, um, what you're doing is you're really terrifying a child. Yes. You're helping them see what they can live through at your hand. But if you raise them to know that they have parents who really love them and who are there, uh, they will walk tall in this world and be able to handle the stresses of life more than coming from a traumatized place. So there are many different ways to look at it, but yeah, I think it's just, uh, it's just a way to not have to take responsibility for being sadistic. Yeah. I think, I, I think that there is a, a fine line that is sometimes being walked here mm -hmm. um, that I need that, that I, that, since we're bringing this up, right. This, this, mm -hmm. this, this, this sort of, I don't think this is exactly what we call in psychology trauma bonding, but it is traumatizing and it's bonding. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah. Right. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, we know that, that that's a thing, right. But yes. But and that and again that sense of of connection and and community and and that sort of thing it all feeds together with this right these are mm -hmm. these are all closely connected things. Mm -hmm. Um. But the but I think what I think what you and I 
are wary of with this or what we're always like having to deal with the negative side of this is when people take that too far. They just mm-hmm. they just go too far either when they're raising their kids or when they're in a you know a group situation of some kind and they're trying to, you know, do what they're doing and and I and I think that's why I um you know, it was a real quandary for me in doing research on that because I was like sitting there going, well, that's true. And you talk to veterans and they're like, well, yeah, I mean, you, you know, you go through combat with somebody, you're never going to be tighter. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's just the truth. I mean, it's just, it, it is what it is. Yet, do you really want to artificially be creating situations like that because you think you can get that outcome? Well, it, Fair enough, maybe, but also realize all the negativity that could come from that, too, and the fact that you are at the borderline of of some real abuse, potential abuse that could occur in a situation like that. And that's why they have to be so inspected and thought about and, and controlled and, and, and watched over, you know, and, and it's right. worth a second and third thought, I think, is all I'm really trying to throw out there to parents or or people who are who are thinking, well, no, you guys don't know what you're talking about. Of course, you know, tough love and, and you got to be rough and, you know, and, and, and you're not going to get anywhere if you don't go through some shit. Fair enough, but, you know, be aware that that line is real wobbly and, and, and you can end up actually hurting people too. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, there, I, I sort of, I like to think that the kind of parenting I provided for my kids and still do, even though they're basically adults, um, is a both and kind of parenting that they know that if they need me, I'm here, but I'm also not going to rescue them from everything Mm -hmm. that sometimes they're going to have to experience what that feels like to not have something go their way, not have the grade be whatever they didn't want it to be. Although with my kids, they got much better grades than I ever did. So that's not an issue. Taking that off the table. (laughs) I I hadn't been able to help them with their math homework since third grade. Anyway, just to be totally open. Anywho, um, what I do think is important though, is to say, I don't have to actually make my child's life harder in order to bring something out in them. Life can be hard enough. There's a lot that we don't know that is going to happen to them that we can't predict. I mean, people now, you know, I don't know when this is going to be released, but people in Ukraine, right, are going to, they're having their children spending the night in wherever or losing family members or having their apartment bombed. Um, And so, yeah, you don't have to create moments of trauma uh, in order for people to get closer. Unfortunately, life is unpredictable enough that it just might happen. You just want to develop personal strength um, so that people can withstand, you know, what they, what they can. But what I also think about is the intention. So let's imagine if we look at L. Ron Hubbard's intention. Yeah. Why did he want people to be so tight with each other? Because, you know, it's a culture of gossip and it's a culture of people going behind each other's backs and move, being pushed up a hierarchy and pushed down. You're never quite 
mm, safe in your connections anyway. So what did he have to gain from having people be so close? And is that so that he could maintain them as members so they wouldn't abandon each other? And so is that just so that he can keep the numbers up and he can keep the money flowing in? So it was want to see why someone needs to promote that in their population. Yeah, that's a great point. Context always matters. Always, mm -hmm. always, always. And you really got to ask yourself, because we've got lots and lots of phrasing and thought-stopping cliches out there to support this kind of behavior, right? No pain, mm -hmm. no gain. Uh, you know, if it doesn't hurt, it's not helping you, you know, this kind of thing. And, mm. you know, and, and fair enough, you know, you, you need things like this to push through the resistance and the fact that, you know, if you're going to wait, you know, do weight training or something, well, yeah, okay, fine. You're going to go out and push your body around. Okay, you know, maybe you're going to hurt it and that's your choice, you know, and you've got choices mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. But but when you're dealing with somebody else and you're dealing yeah. with pushing them, you mm -hmm. know, or lots of people, you know, then 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 a second like I said, a second or third thought, a second or third look is is always, you know, called for. So Yeah. 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 All right. So uh yeah, then again, this is one of those like this is those funny things because this isn't these emotional needs are not optional. These are not negatives. These are not things that we're trying to get out of your life. Y mm -hmm. You have them. They're, they're, they're not going anywhere. <laughs> you know? so, mm -hmm. so it's really like you can fulfill this need or you can have it over-fulfilled, right? Or you can have it under-fulfilled. And, and, and optimally, it's just kind of right in the middle of there. It's just kind of perfect, you know? Um, yeah. But you've got forces at play around you like we talk about with cults or with, you know, mm -hmm. uh, bad relationships mm -hmm. where people are trying to knock you about with this stuff. And I think that's right. why, that's why knowing yeah. about it is so useful. Oh yeah. Uh, which leads us to the next one, which is community, mm -hmm. right? One has mm -hmm. to feel like a sense of community, mm -hmm. part of group, part of other people, right? So there's so you could say that it's 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 hand in hand with the emotional connection need, but mm -hmm. it's a different thing too because it's a sense of feeling you're in a place you should be, surrounded mm -hmm. by people who should be there. Yeah. You know, right. it's 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 not just an individual connection. It's a real group sort of thing and and it's and it's part of us. Oh, yeah. It's a necessary part of us. Um, I was reading this article about wisdom, and one of the ways that people show their wisdom is by finding out who they can use within their community to take care of the things that they need that they might not have a proclivity for, they might not know how to do, but how you stay entwined with your community by having you all be um, people who make each lives each of your lives better and easier by working together. You know, it takes a village and it's important that it does. You, you want to get reminded that you're not alone. Um, what is also true, even if you talk to people who say that they are introverts or that they have social anxiety, there is something about just knowing that people are there should they want 
to see them? Should they want to call them or feel safe enough or comfortable enough? That makes all the difference. Um, some people who don't like to talk, just like knowing that someone's in the living room while they're busy doing, even though they don't want to talk to them. There's just something about knowing that you're not, you know, spinning out in space by yourself, but community is, is safety. Um, or at least it should be. And for, you know, a lot of people who get involved in cults, one of the most hurtful things is what we talked about, about finding out that it's a conditional community and that you have given up other communities to be with this community. And now they're going to drop you if you decide that you don't believe in the same way they do anymore. And that, that actually causes people to stay way past the point that they are already thinking about leaving because of that connection to community. Also with having the, the same language, you know, we speak each other's language. That's a feeling of community. And how do I translate my life to people outside who don't speak in the same way? Um, there, there was a quote by Eric Fromm. Love Eric Fromm. Love Eric Fromm. He's fantastic. Um, and I love people have a lot of quotables. He and Viktor Frankl also. Just always going for those. Uh, so Eric Fromm talked about, his quote is, common customs and beliefs, no matter how absurd, bring people together and save them from isolation. And so sometimes people will say, yeah, I started believing whatever it was, but that actually really, that mattered less than the fact that I walked into a room and everyone said, hey, how you doing? You know, come join us in doing this and, you know, and we have your back. Um, same thing with people now who are leaving kind of conspiratorial thinking groups. Sometimes it was the thought that mattered to them, or it was just feeling so connected to other people who had the same idea that the idea mattered a lot less than the connection. Exactly. Exactly. That this is a, this is one of those sort of invisible needs Mm-hmm. Because you don't, it's not obvious, and and I'm really glad you brought that up about about the, the the oddball groups or oddball belief sets that people can start following. But what they're really, and this isn't broad brush. This isn't, and obviously, not everybody fits this. But but the fact that this need exists for community can alone put a person into these worlds where they stay. Because mm-hmm. yeah. because it's kind of like. I don't know. It's kind of like dating a little bit. Like mm-hmm. once you're in a relationship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <No>. Right. <laughs> you know, there's a certain degree of comfort there. Like, okay, I did all the work to get here. Uh-huh. <laughs> now, <laughs> the last thing I want to do, <laughs> hit the eject button, right? Right. And go do all that work again, right? To find some other community because, hey, this, this community ain't perfect, but, you know, they know my name. Right. I, I exactly. show up, they smile, you know. Right. Yeah. I, I can talk to some of them. It ain't perfect. It ain't great. You know, I know there's problems, but, mm-hmm. hey, my needs are being met. Again, getting right back to my point, right? Which is that Mm -hmm. it fulfills emotional needs. The belief set isn't always the thing that's fulfilling the emotional needs. Mm -mm. 
The, no. just, just the mere fact and presence of other people can. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, you know, I have friends from different parts of my life in, in every once in a while I'll run into now that I'm back where I grew up, I, you know, like this homing pigeon, I came back across the other coast for some, I loved being on the East coast, but then my family's here. So I came back. Um, but I, I find that I feel a closeness with the people I run into every once in a while who I went to elementary school with, which is so crazy to me that I run into them. And after we start talking, for some of them, I realize we have nothing in common, but I still feel close because I remember we played tetherball together. Like there is this shared history, memory, these people knew my dad, you know, it, it, those things matter. And then in that way, we know that we matter. And, and I think also in a very primal way, if we're having needs, we don't want to be sitting, you know, ill uh, on our own without someone visiting, without someone calling to see if we're okay. We don't want to be in a hospital bed with no, you know, someone just visiting the person in the bed next door, but never coming to visit us. So um, all of those things matter just to know that you matter. Exactly, exactly. And this is also one of the things that that is, like I said, it's kind of an invisible one in that mm -hmm. it's not necessarily thought of or checked into. Uh, mm -hmm. Talking to people about leaving a cult, you know, I get, this, mm -hmm. I, I, we get these questions all the time, right? How, how do you get them out? Yeah. How, do you, how do you talk to them? How do you get them out of there? Well, this is something you want to really want to be aware of is this business of community, right? Because it's, because it's not just, again, what is the belief set doing for the person or what's the relationship with the leader doing for the person? But what about the rest of the group? You know, questions about, well, how are you getting along with people there? Mm -hmm. How do you like everybody, right? So maybe you're going to find a situation where they even think the belief set's a little nuts. Mm -hmm. They don't really like the leader that much, but right. boy, this person they connected with or these people that they're hanging out with now or this feeling of acceptance that they get from the group, even though it's got kind of funny beliefs and yeah, that leader's a little weird, but boy, I just don't go anywhere else in my life where everybody just kind of accepts me for who I am. Mm hmm. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's also why so many cult leaders try to have their members hook up with other members yeah. just to solidify that connection. And I think about this group twin flames universe. That is this horrible thing, but it, you know, it, you have to research twin, this group. Twin it's flames. awful. Oh, it's so awful on so many levels for so many reasons. Mm. But yeah, like this is your, this is your soulmate. We have him or her here for you. Um, and so, yeah, I think sometimes in terms of helping people leave, it is actually good in preparation for that, for family and friends to be rebuilding somebody's community outside of the group like let's make sure that the cousins come back into the life or the old neighbor or or the people who that cult member potentially burned their bridges with because they had to or they had to write a letter that was horrible to their parents to have the parents say yeah no not so fast we're still here right. and that's very important because yeah you don't want to 
take someone away from a richness of the community only to have them be alone because then they'll want to go back in or find something else that's equally unhealthy, but that gives them community. Exactly. And, and I, this is probably as appropriate a time as any to bring this up because I've been, it's something I wanted to ask you about. And, um, and that is that in doing intervention work or, or, cult assistance work with people, you know, consulting with people about mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. I've done, you've done, mm -hmm. um, you know, you, people contact you and they're like, oh my God, I have this friend or this family member or whatever, and I don't know what to do and blah, blah, blah. I have, I, it's been fairly, I, I mean, it's, again, I'm just not like I've got lots of this under my belt, but it's been consistent so far that almost one for one, these cases were dysfunctional families. Hmm. And, and that was part of the reason that the person got involved in the cult in the first place, right? Is because they didn't have good relations with their brother, sister, father, mother, grandparents, kids, whatever. That community, in other words, wasn't working for them so good. Mm -hmm. Right? So they're looking for this other community, right? And, and one of the things you find in trying to help family and friends of people who get involved in this stuff is you end up doing a little family counseling along the way, right? Because mm -hmm. they're now involved in a situation that to them, to the cult member, is is enriching or far more emotionally satisfying for them than the broken relationships, the, the dysfunctional relationships mm -hmm. of their family who yeah. still love them, still care about them enough to reach out to people like us and try to help them. But, but it's interesting how the family members in a dysfunctional situation will tend to, while they love and want this person to do well, will also tend to be pointing the fingers of blame at the person. You know, well, they this, and they that, and they the other thing. And you end up kind of having to work a little bit on the, well, does he even like you? Mm -hmm. I mean, would he want to talk to you if you could mm -hmm. set up a situation where you can talk to him? I mean, cult aside... Mm -hmm. Cult situation, you know, Dianetics and Hubbard and all that to the side. Does this person value his relationship with you as his sister or brother or father or mother? And right. if not, we have some more fundamental things to work on first than the cult, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Is this something you've run across? Because I, I, like I said, I don't have a long history with this, but I just found it interesting and again not i'm not trying to dish blame out i'm talking about how you go about dealing with these situations it's not about mm -hmm. the families to blame for the guy being in the cult that's not my mm -hmm. point at all mm -hmm. it's in order to extricate the guy from the cult we need him to care about his family again you know <laughs> right exactly yeah i mean i have spent time with some families who have said you know you need to help us rescue our son or daughter out of whatever it is. And after spending an hour with them, I want to say, I'm sorry, you want me to bring them back to this? Right. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. Like right. That's going to be a really hard sell. Um, but it's also true that um, there are some families that are open to hearing about how they made life uh, uncomfortable or inhospitable to that particular loved one um, because they had different needs or because they were treated a different way, whatever else, or there was a certain expectation placed on them in a way where they just couldn't fulfill it. So they had to jump into kind of an alternate 
universe so they could succeed or an alternate family so they could succeed. And so, yeah, we do family counseling and I also teach them to ignore the times that their child said, I'm, I never want to talk to you again Uh, and to not be mad at their child for the funeral they missed and whatever else they seem to not show up or because they didn't care. Um, and also to not say, I told you so to not do any of that and to just be this place of welcoming a person back with open arms. Um, what's also true is that there are some families who are perfectly fine or just normally fine. It doesn't have to be perfect, but just normally fine. And that happens quite a lot. And in those situations, I found more often the the loved one has gotten involved in something, not knowing it was a something that they weren't looking for um, an alternate family. They weren't looking for an alternate community. They were taking a self-help class or they were taking um, how to help you um, in your business workshop that happened to be a front for a particular group. And so those families are truly shell-shocked because they're thinking we've done everything. Like we've given our kid every possibility and love and consistency. And why is it that they don't want to be a part of us anymore? And those families are, are kind of demonized in retrospect. So they're, you know, that person's history is reformed in their mind by the cult leader to make it seem like their family never cared about them, to make it seem like they never were in a position to take care of their needs. And, you know, that's, that's just thievery. It's robbing someone of their really good family. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, Good points. All very good points. I just thought it was amusing. I I really was more amused than anything else. I I really hope I'm not coming across in some derogatory way here because I'm not, I'm not trying to judge people. It's just, it's just very interesting how I used to. I used to, um, you know, you're you're a family therapist and mm-hmm. and child there, you know, and and couples mm-hmm. therapist as right. well as done cult intervention work. And mm-hmm. I always thought of those things as wildly different <laughs> until I started getting involved with helping people directly with this stuff, right. working yeah. with the families. And mm-hmm. going, oh my God, exactly like you just said, like, wow, what, what would possibly make that person want to return to this? We, right? we got some work to do here. And that's, and that's really all it is, is. You just roll up your sleeves and you get to work. It's not, oh, screw you guys. Your family's so screwed. This guy, you know, he, he's better off in the cult. That's, that, that's never the message. You know, it's not, <laughs> that's not it at all. It's just that some families are more functional than others. And it, and it was an interesting Mm-hmm. thing to run into that mm-hmm. yeah. yeah 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 it is true and you do need to do some work so that when the person comes back if they come back they'll want to stay that's right uh and so the work is a win-win for the family and for the former member exactly exactly ideally speaking it really does end up that way where everybody's actually mm-hmm. closer at the end Mm-hmm. than they ever imagined they could be at the beginning. And that's what that's really the ideal picture of what you want out of that. But but boy, you know, you can't underestimate the amount of work it's going to take to get there. Right. I mean, it just last week, this is actually, I mean, 
I can't, of course, I'm not going to mention names, right. but the, <laughs> I had this family talking to me about how they really needed to get their child out of a situation where, you know, they, their child was being pulled away from them and this, their child had become so critical of them and was insulting. And right before saying that the, the father says to me, sorry, we're late. I had to park the car in the lot. And the guy who was helping me was so slow because you know how Mexicans are. And I thought, I'm oh, sorry. What did, oh, what did you just say? And right. you're upset that your child has become critical of people unfairly and you need him out of this group because he's like, exactly the way you actually are and the way you raised him, but you don't like to see it coming at you. And so you're going to blame someone else for it. We have a lot of work to do. There we go. <laughs> so I was like, yeah. slow down there, Sparky. Yeah. Sit down. <laughs> Let's get to work. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Community, man. So, so, you know, it, it is, it is wild how, how we push ourselves in different directions and motivate mm -hmm. ourselves or, mm -hmm. or, or, or are motivated to do things because of this emotional need yeah, for right, community. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Oh my God. All right. Well, I think, uh, I think we're going to start wrapping up now rather than take on the next ones. We got through three of them in our list, which is cool. exactly what we wanted to do. Nice. Yeah. And um, I think we'll probably do. Yeah, I think we'll probably have one more episode in this in this series here. And that'll that'll we'll co probably cover the rest in the next one, in the last one. So, yeah, good. I'm glad. I mean, I really hope that it that it provides exactly what I think you're trying to provide, which is that this is this is what everyone moves through the world feeling and needing and that it's normal and there's an evolutionary reason for it. Yeah. That it's the way we have survived. Exactly. Uh, and unfortunately though, there are people out there who will take advantage of those needs. And so then um, not to demonize the needs, but to know who to watch out for, who's going to capitalize on them. Exactly. Hey, I had one more question for you, yeah. Um, yeah. and this actually came from some feedback that we got on these on the show, um, and that has to do with um, with the education I just did. We did a bit of a survey of treatment modalities, but I am not in any position. I, I, I am not a therapist, and I was not training to be one. Mm -hmm. So this is really a question for you, and that is. Uh, in some of the examples that we've discussed here so far, what sort of treatment options or, or modalities are there that people might look for or, or ask about or, or reach for in dealing with deficiencies or problems or, or issues with these emotional needs we've been discussing? Mm -hmm. Super broad mm -hmm. question, but... You know, it was a question that was asked of me and I thought, yeah, that's a good question. Let me, let me pass that on. Yeah. So, you know, because uh, each person is so different and their experience is so different, I think if you're going to be a clinician, you do want to familiarize yourself with a lot of different modalities so that you can tailor make it, you know, because you don't want to be like another cult leader where you say, like, hi, I'm a hammer, so you have to be a nail. And I only got one way of doing this. And so you have to fit into it. And if you don't, there's something wrong with you. Yeah. Uh, the, the modality that I 
uh, utilize the most, just because I think it has the most practical application, is cognitive behavioral. Let's understand this together. And then let's see how, based on what you are learning about yourself and learning about what you've been through in your childhood or in your cultic group, how that's shifted your behavior, your thoughts about things, your thoughts about yourself, how you can make changes that now are more in line with the life that you want to be living. And so I think it's very, um, I think it's very helpful, useful. I was also trained when I was at USC, it, it was existential philosophy counseling, which is very interesting because it doesn't have a lot of practical application, but there's just this great sense of, you know, the feelings that you're having about things are normal feelings. And you don't have to pathologize everything. This is the condition of being alive and dealing with real fears and life and death and all of it. And so just accepting who you are and that your feelings are normal is, is a very good thing. But I also think that for some people, if they've been through trauma, it is good for them to get trauma-informed therapy, whatever that means. I would I would steer away from some of the modalities. I, I'm not going to say that they're dangerous because I don't want you to be sued, but I, 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 my, okay, from my opinion, um, I would steer away from things like neuro-linguistic programming and other things that can really get into your head in a, in a way that is going to kind of set you on another path, but still not the path that I think is healthiest for you, the one that's in line with you, because it just becomes a way to, I think, to um, control and manipulate again. Um, so you want to do your homework, but if you feel like you're you're reacting, the, the decisions that you made or the reason you got involved in um, a cultic group is because you've been through something, then you want to go to someone who can deal with it in a trauma-informed way, with, meaning with that understanding and that sensitivity. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you for that. Those are, those are um, definitely uh, some direction. <laughs> yeah. yes. okay. and uh and hopefully uh hopefully people can uh, take advantage of that because uh because yeah there's some really interesting stuff out there uh i i was fascinated to learn about that existential uh, approach to to things for example because when you're dealing with for example um you know it's existence right so you're dealing with like life and death and you know yeah. oh my god i can't i can't believe i'm gonna end someday well how do you deal with that well you right approach yeah. it that way you know like, right, exactly right. And I also think just for people to know to be cautious, there are a lot of people out there who will say that they are counselors, um, but they're not necessarily licensed and 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 coaches, being a coach is unregulated still. So that doesn't mean all coaches are bad and it doesn't mean all therapists are good. None right. of that is true across the board. Nothing is true across the board. Um, do your research. That's find right. out about this person and what kind of track record they have and um and if they do have training or not and maybe talk to other people they've worked with to find out cuz there are a lot of people out there saying they know how to help you but they don't exactly yeah exactly all right well rachel thank you very much for joining me for this hour and uh and talking about all of this it's uh your your insight and your views on things are always 
always helpful and uh and educational and and entertaining <laughs> so thank you <laughs> i do my best um anyway no it's very nice to talk to you as always and i look forward to our next segment Awesome. Awesome. Me too. All right, folks. So uh, listeners out there, please support the channel. Please uh, like and share and uh, spread this uh, information about on the interwebs. I need your assistance with that. I am not any longer on social media. I'm not sharing any of this myself or promoting myself very effectively. So I need your guys' help to to help me out with that. Uh, And of course, if you want to support the channel, uh, you can always join uh, the Patreon uh, campaign. It is below, a uh, link below, or of course, uh, you can uh, contribute to the show through PayPal. And I'll figure out uh, how to get my Venmo link on there too, for those of you who want to use that. All right. So see you guys next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>